Pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Good evening. Welcome to our Facebook Live feed. I'm Pastor Mike Brunzo with Faith Fellowship Church and coming to you from my home in Taylorsville, Kentucky tonight. I have an exciting message for you. I want to talk to you tonight about moving mountains. And I know we've talked about moving mountains before and we've uh, used a very familiar scripture, at least it's familiar to our ministry and the school that we came from. Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 26. That'll be our text tonight. If you have your Bibles with you, just read along. If you feel so led, just hit the share button. Send up a couple of hearts or a couple of thumbs up every now and then so I know you're there. And let's begin reading in Mark 11, 22. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you, Surely I say unto you, That whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, And shall not doubt in his heart, But shall believe that those things which he saith Shall come to pass, He shall have whatsoever he saith. Now this passage of scripture tells us how to get the mountains in our lives moved out of the way and we're going to have to speak to them in faith and we can't allow any doubt or unbelief to come into our hearts now like i said we preached on this subject before but how many knows there's different sides to climb a mountain and every side is going to have a different scenery a different you know you can go up on one side it'll be on the sunny side and you'll see things that you wouldn't normally see on the shadow side of the mountain but as long as you get to the top, it doesn't make any difference what side of the mountain you climb. And that's kind of what we're doing tonight. We're climbing the same mountain, but we're going up a different side. Then in verse 24, he says, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. Well, when do we believe we receive? When we pray, not when we get them. We begin believing as soon as we finish praying. Now, faith believes before it sees. Jesus is telling us to believe we receive what we prayed for before we actually see it. And he said that we will see the results. And then in verse 25, it says, And when you stand praying, forgive if you have ought against any, that your Father also which is in heaven will forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Now we have to keep something in mind here because this doesn't sound like the new covenant God that we know. Uh, we have to keep this in mind that Jesus is talking to Jews and uh, that were raised under the old covenant. As a matter of fact, even though this is in the New Testament, the gospels are in the New Testament, these are Old Testament times. So we have to consider that as we rightly divide the word. So he's talking to Jews that are under the old covenant. They're not born again. 
under the new covenant, we have unconditional forgiveness with God. But that doesn't diminish the effect that unforgiveness can have in our lives. You know, God loves us and he forgives us totally, completely, unconditionally. So if he told us that if we don't forgive others, he can't forgive us, that would be a conditional forgiveness, a conditional love, if you will. And, and God doesn't do that in the New Testament. He loves us unconditionally. He forgives us unconditionally. He said that he'll take our sins and cast them into a sea of forgiveness and remember them no more. So our love and our uh, forgiveness from God is unconditional. No conditions on it whatsoever. But if we have unforgiveness in our hearts, it is going to affect the way we uh, pray. It's going to affect the things that we receive from God. It's going to affect the way our faith works. And uh, we have to walk in love. Uh, Galatians, Paul tells us in Galatians that faith works by love. So if you've got unforgiveness in your heart, you're not walking in love. And your faith will only be as effective as your love walk. It will never rise above your love walk. So we have to keep that in mind. We have to keep the unforgiveness out of our heart. And we have to walk in love towards our brothers and sisters. And having a clean and pure heart is so important before God. And that's why you can't have unforgiveness in your heart. And then expect God to answer your prayers. Uh, King David said this in Psalms 51 and 10. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So when you're harboring unforgiveness, your heart is not clean. It's not pure, so your faith is going to be hindered. If your heart's not clean, according to this passage of Scripture, then your spirit isn't right. It's wrong, because David said, Create uh, within me, a, a renew a right spirit within me. So uh, by, t by having unforgiveness in your heart, not having a clean, pure heart, it means your spirit isn't right either. So we have to get that straightened out and get that unforgiveness out of our heart. Let me read uh, Mark eleven twenty two through 26 in the Amplified Classic Edition. Uh, it will do exactly what the, the name of the translation intends. It will amplify what we're reading here. Now, we just read it in the King James, but listen to it in the Amplified now. And Jesus replying said to them, have faith in God constantly. Faith has to be a constant thing. You don't turn it on and off. You live by faith. You walk by faith. You operate in faith constantly. He said in verse 23, truly, I tell you, whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt at all in his heart, but believes that what he says will take place, it will be done for him. For this reason, I am telling you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe, trust, and be confident that it is granted to you, and you will get it. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him and let it drop. Leave it, let it go, in order that your Father who is in heaven may also forgive you, you your own failings and shortcomings and let them drop. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your failings and shortcomings. So again, like I said, God doesn't place conditions on his forgiveness towards us, but that doesn't mean unforgiveness doesn't affect us in other ways, it will definitely affect your prayer life. 
You have to pray from a pure heart, a clean heart, with the right spirit within you if you want your faith to be effective. Faith also requires a target. You have to have something to direct your faith towards. And faith is a weapon. And just like most weapons, it requires direction. It has to be aimed. And, you know, I went to the hunting land last week with Chris, my son, and my grandson, Tyler, to fire our uh, AR-15s. And mine was brand new, so it had to be zeroed in. I had iron sights and a red optic sight, so they both had to be zeroed. And to zero a weapon, you have to fire, those of you that are not familiar with it, you have to fire a few rounds downrange and see where they hit on the target. It's called a shot group. And so if you have a good tight shot group, you can start adjusting your sights and making your sights line up with the shot group. And you keep, then you fire a few more rounds and you keep doing that until your rifle starts hitting where you've been aiming. And so it took a little while, but when we were finished, that AR, as the saying goes, could clip the wings off a fly at 50 yards. But I know one thing for sure, the more I learned about the characteristics of that weapon and the more that I fired it and handled it, the more accurate I became. I was a lot more accurate when we were ready to come home than I was when we first got there. But the point I'm trying to make is that I needed a target to aim that weapon and direct that bullet to in order to measure the effectiveness of it. And we can call faith a weapon because it will destroy the works of the devil especially if it's properly used. But we have to know our weapon well to be accurate on a consistent and constant basis. And the more we know about a weapon, the more accurate we will be when using it. And I remember when I was in the military, I started out with the M14, but before boot camp was over, we had converted over to the M16, so I had to qualify on both of those weapons. But we had to become highly efficient uh, not only in the use of the weapon uh, and be accurate with it, but we also had to be uh, proficient in the knowledge of that weapon. We had to know uh, that weapon inside and out. We had to know the characteristics and the capabilities of it, and we had to know all that stuff by heart. We, we couldn't have anything questionable in our heart about that weapon. We had to know it uh, from top to bottom, and we had to be able to field strip it, put it back together, in the dark. That's how well we had to know that weapon and its components. And sometimes we had to literally live with that weapon. I mean, we ate with it, we slept with it, we took it to the toilet with us, we treated it like our baby. Uh, we, we even uh, took it to the mess hall with us and ate with it because using it would have to become like second nature to us. We had to be so used to that weapon that we never even had to think about it when it came time to use it. And because we didn't have time to think about uh, what it was capable of doing or how to take the safety off, how to aim it or any of that stuff. We just had to do it automatically and like second nature. And, and we had to know the statistics of the weapon as well, uh, all because we needed to understand what it was capable of doing and not push it beyond its capabilities. And we had to know that it had a fire rate of 700 to 950 rounds per minute. It had 45 to 60 rounds sustained fire, had a muzzle velocity of 3,150 feet per second, had a firing range of 800 yards with a maximum firing range of 4,000 yards. 
And with a 30-round magazine, we knew that weapon weighed 7.5 pounds. It had iron sights and various optic sights, depending on the type of warfare you were going to uh, be engaging in. And you would use sometimes just the iron sights, but in special cases, you'd use both, like, like I have my mind, the optics and the iron sights. And we knew that weapon inside and out, never doubted its capability, never doubted its reliability. And this is exactly how we should be with our faith. We should know the characteristics, the capabilities, the reliability of our faith and how to use it. And we should take it everywhere we go. And just like that M16, we should learn to live with it and live by it. The Bible says we live by faith. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. And we have to trust it enough to know that it's not going to let us down when we have to use it. It could save our lives. And just like that M16, using our faith also has to be second nature. We shouldn't have to think about it. We should just know when to engage it. And we should know what it's capable of doing and what it, how reliable it is. And if we direct it properly, it's going to hit its target every time. And Jesus said, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And I believe Jesus, uh, when he was giving this lesson and telling his disciples about faith, mountain-moving faith, I believe that he pointed to a nearby mountain when he said that just to illustrate what he was saying because he said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. So I believe there was a mountain in the distance and he was pointing to it and he said, this mountain. And this one makes sense to a lot of people because we know that you can't uh, move a, a physical mountain with your spiritual faith. But uh, they would be thinking and believing because Jesus was illustrating this. They'd be thinking and believing not that they could move a big rock, but they understood exactly what he meant because uh, the Jews understood removing what removing mountains meant because the phrase was a familiar Jewish saying uh, that actually meant removing difficulties. So he was using the mountain as an example, but they knew he was talking about the difficulties of life. So in other words, Jesus is saying, whosoever shall say unto the difficulty he is facing, this mountain, this difficulty, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, he shall have whatsoever he saith. And so, but I, you know, if I was to ask you what the target of your faith was, most people would say, of course, the mountain. The mountain has to be the target of our faith because that's what needs to be moved. The difficulty that I'm facing, that's what needs to be moved. So that's what I would direct my faith at. That's what I would aim at is that mountain. And that's where a lot of us get it wrong because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, have faith in God and then say unto this mountain, be thou removed. So our faith should always be directed towards God. The target of our faith should always be God and it should always be in God's abilities, not our abilities. Because difficulties change, uh, the size of the mountain changes, the the type of rock that the mountain is changes, but God never changes. So moving the mountain would actually be God's target.
Our target is God. And when we direct our faith or aim our faith at the mountain, we can become intimidated by the size of the mountain and begin to wonder if our faith is powerful enough, if our faith is capable enough, if our faith is reliable enough to move a mountain that size. And we could allow doubt in and unbelief, and that's going to affect how our faith works. But when I direct my faith at God and I put my faith in God, like Jesus said, I have no doubt about his capabilities, his reliabilities, what he's able to do. I don't have to doubt one single thing. All I have to do is put my faith in him, and he's the one that's going to move the mountain for me. All I have to do is speak to it. And so when we, when we direct our faith or aim at the mountain, things could happen. Some things are not possible for us. God said that himself, you know. Some things are not possible with man, but with God, all things are possible. So it only makes sense that I should direct my faith towards God and not towards the difficulty, not towards the circumstances or problem. Yeah, that's the reason I'm exercising my faith, but I'm not going to put my faith into moving something that I may not be capable of moving. So I put my faith in God, and I don't have any doubts about his abilities. You know, it's like uh, what Jesus said. I believe it's Matthew 6, 33. He says, uh, uh, talking about uh, putting the kingdom of God first, putting God first uh, in everything we do. And he said, all the things that we worry about, all the things that we need, the, the cares of life, all those things will be added to us if we just seek God's kingdom first. Seek him, his kingdom, and don't worry about anything else. It's the same thing with exercising our faith. If we put our faith in him, we don't have to worry about the mountain. We don't have to worry about the difficulty because he's the one that's going to deal with that. But he wants our faith in him. And that's why Jesus said, have faith in God because he's the one that's going to move the mountain. He's the one that's going to remove the difficulties. And mountains represent, physical mountains represent immovable. They represent the impossible. It's something that could be too steep to climb too high to cross, almost always too big to see beyond, sometimes too wide to go around. And so we don't have the capabilities we need to handle that mountain, but God does. So I put my faith in him. I let him worry about moving the mountain. Another thing to consider is we shouldn't ask God to remove things that we're capable of removing ourselves. We go to God when there's something facing us that's impossible for us to take care of or impossible for us to move and sometimes removing a mountain or a difficulty in our life just requires some good old-fashioned hard work i know i done went to swearing using them two-letter words or that four-letter word work but uh you know we're having a hard time facing bills so this would be a financial or paying bills so this would be a a financial mountain we're facing a financial mountain we just don't have enough income to meet our needs at the end of the month and so we pray and we ask God increase our income God and we direct our faith towards God and that's great we're off to a good start uh, we pray we put our faith in God so now all you have to do is believe in your heart and not doubt and start confessing and acting like it's already happened it's already happened and so that following Monday, though, the boss comes to you and says, we had a big order come in. 
and I want you to start working a couple hours over every night, and I want you to start coming in on Saturday for 10 hours until further notice. And this is a big order, so it, we're going to be doing this for a while. And you're like, well, I can't, boss. I have to get home by 5 to let the dogs out. And uh, Saturdays are just not good for me. Saturdays, you know, uh, I need my rest, and I usually go out on Saturday nights, so uh, I won't be able to work Saturdays. Are you still believing God to remove the mountain? Maybe. You might be, but is he going to move it now? <laughs> not when you could have done it. He's not going to move it. He's out of the picture now. You're on your own. See, God gave you the opportunity to fix the problem yourself. And, and it was going to take a little hard work, but you refused. And when the end of the month comes and you still can't pay your bills, you're going to blame God and say this faith stuff just doesn't work. This believing that you receive when you pray and this, uh, you know, speaking it and all, it just don't work. No, it would work if you work it. But the main requirement to removing mountains in prayer is having faith in God. The object of our faith should be God himself, not moving the mountain. The entire key to removing the mountain is in the words, in God. Jesus said, uh, have faith in God. He didn't just say have faith. He said, have faith in God. He gave us a target for our faith, gave us something to aim our faith at. And faith by itself really doesn't have a lot of value. The value is when you put your faith in God himself, and then your faith is valuable. Then your faith can do something. And all too often we have uh, something come up and we feel like we have to stir up our faith and, and get ready to go into battle and fight this difficulty and conquer this problem. And uh, we start coming up with all this, you know, start believing hard. I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing. And, and we forget to direct our faith. We forget to aim our faith at the right target. And uh, we just go through a whole lot of stuff that we don't need to go through. But we feel if we can just stir up enough of our faith, we'll whip this problem. But in reality, we're trying to stir up uh, our faith in our faith. In other words, we, we're trying to put faith in our faith. And God never told us to have faith in our faith. He told us to have faith in God. So the problem, uh, you know, people say the problem with you, brothers, you need to have more faith in your ability to use faith. You need more experience in uh, in using faith. No, you have to have faith in God and God alone. Jesus said, have faith in God. Some translations say, have the faith of God. Well, how did God's faith work? By speaking and believing. You know, God spoke the worlds into existence. He spoke everything into existence. So obviously he, had, he has great faith. He's able to speak a universe into existence, but it's speaking and saying or speaking and believing. And so our faith works the same way because the Bible tells we have the same spirit of faith. Uh, and what is that spirit of, say, of faith? Uh, I believed, therefore I spoke. That's what the spirit of faith is. So we believe something in our heart, we speak it out of our mouth, and, and, and we direct our faith towards God. He's the one that's going to move the mountain. So we either focus on our problem or we focus on our faith 
And you know what's wrong with that? When we're focusing on the problem or we're focusing on how well our faith is working, we can't be focusing on God. So we need to direct our faith, aim our faith towards God. God is the target of our faith. It's not your faith that's going to remove the mountain anyway. It's uh, your faith in God that's going to cause God to remove the mountain. So practically everyone who came to Jesus had weak faith. If you read the New Testament, you'll see that. Yet God still saved them, still healed them, still delivered them, and still granted their requests. Only a, a, a couple that I remember in the New Testament had what Jesus called great faith, and that was a centurion, and that was the Syrophoenician woman. He told those two that they had great faith. Not the disciples that were with him all the time, seeing the miracles, knew how faith worked, knew how Jesus worked. He never once told them they had great faith. As a matter of fact, he told them, O ye of little faith. And so here is two people that not even Jewish. Uh, one was a, a Roman soldier. The other one was a Greek woman, a Syrophoenician by nation. And their faith was so strong, Jesus said, I haven't even seen faith like this. No, not in Israel anywhere. So that was a wonderful compliment. But all the other people had weak to maybe average faith. But these two had great faith. So, you know, only, only a couple had strong faith. And they knew the object of their faith. They had big problems. They had, they had a daughter was vexed with the devil for the Syrophoenician woman. And for the centurion, his servant was laying at home dying. And so uh, they had some problems, but they didn't focus on the problem. The centurion said, Lord, you don't even have to come to my house. Just speak the word only. For I'm a man uh, under authority and I have people under, under my authority. And so he recognized Jesus' authority in the spirit. He recognized the fact that if Jesus just spoke it, it would happen. And Jesus called that great faith. And it was the same thing with the Syrophoenician woman. She wanted her daughter set free from that devil. And she didn't focus on that. She focused on Jesus. And, and that was the target of her faith. And she had bulldog faith because she wasn't going to leave him for any reason until she got her, her uh, prayer answered. And that's the way that we need to be. We need to have that kind of faith in God. And in Matthew 14, when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter asked him if he could, he could come out of the boat and walk to him, Jesus said, come on. And Peter, for a little bit, actually walked on water, uh, at least for a minute or two. And then the wind and the waves became boisterous and Peter got scared and he began to sink. But think about this a minute. The, the wind and the waves didn't just start when Peter started walking on the water. It was the same wind, the same waves, the same storm when Peter got out of the boat. But what caused him to start thinking? He took his eyes off of Jesus. His target was Jesus. His faith was in Jesus because Jesus bade him, come. And so he was acting on the word of God when he got out of that boat and he was going to Jesus. But when he took his eyes off the target, when he, when he took his eyes off of uh, Jesus, the author and the finisher of his faith, he began to sink. Why? Because he started putting his faith in his ability to sink rather than to walk on top of the water. He put his 
fear. He got fear from putting his uh, faith in the waves and the, the uh, wind being stronger than his faith and being stronger than Jesus. And, but even at that, even when he began to sink, he said, save me, Lord. And Jesus reached out his hand and saved him. And what did he say? Oh, ye of little faith. If you'd have just kept your eyes on me, if you'd have just kept your faith in me, he says, you could have walked down the water. We could have walked back to the boat together. So it's not so much the problem. It's where you focus your faith. What's the target of your faith? Is it in walking on the water or is it in, uh, in Jesus? And so we have to direct our faith properly. Uh, this is the reason Jesus discussed prayer in our opening scripture. He discussed prayer and communion along with faith. And uh, we learn to have faith in God as we pray and commune with God. The more you get to know something, just like that weapon, that M16, the more I got to know it, the more I realized what its capabilities and how reliable it was, its characteristics, the more faith I had in it. And the more time I spent with it, the more proficient I got. And so it's the same thing with God. When we spend more time with him, learn more about him, learn his characteristics, learn how faithful he is, learn how reliable he is, learn that nothing is impossible with him. The more time we spend with him and in his word, the greater our faith becomes. And we also realize when something goes wrong and we find ourselves in a difficult situation, and it doesn't look like we could fix it, then we turn our faith towards him. And he's our target. He's the target of our faith because we know that he can fix it. We know he can move the mountains. So the more we do this, the more we'll experience our mountains moving and, and uh, the things that slow our progress in life, uh, the difficulties in life. And, and the best way to process faith is through prayer is through communion is through asking god for things and communing with him and jesus explicitly says you must not doubt in your heart and you must believe in your heart that what you say what you ask for in prayer so to speak will happen it will be done for you and it's not only in prayer that we say here he's in the last two verses of our passage he's talking about prayer specifically, but sometimes we just need to speak to problems, and sometimes we just need to put our, uh, put our faith in God to remove the problem. Uh, you know, God healed me of uh, diabetes. Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but diabetes isn't curable. It doesn't go away on its own, and uh, I was taking medicine for diabetes 10 years, 10 years, and then I started, I, I, I got to the place where I was doing everything that I could physically do, and I couldn't get it any lower than what I was getting it. And so I went to God in prayer, and I said to God, I said, Lord, I said, I'm doing everything that I can do physically. I'm doing everything I can do naturally. I'm not eating sweets. I'm watching my carbs. I'm exercising on a daily basis, and my, my sh uh, sugar numbers are still not acceptable. You know God healed me, and after taking that medication for 10 years, uh, he got me off, off of it completely, delivered me from that medication completely after 10 years. And uh, then I got myself in trouble, I don't know, a couple years later. I started getting careless. I wasn't doing my part again. My sugar started going up again. So I was in the process of getting it back down again. But 
We have to realize that we have to do everything that we're capable of doing before we can go to God and ask him to do what's impossible for us to do. And, and But when you do, when you do your part, you work that overtime, you work that Saturday, and you get to the end of the month and you still can't pay your, God, your, your bills, then you can expect a miracle from God because you're doing everything that you could possibly do, and now it's up to God to do something supernatural, and he will. Hallelujah. But anyway, we can't have any doubts in our heart. This means we never have a thought as to whether or not uh, God is able to do what we're asking him to do. We have to have faith in our heart, and we have to direct that faith towards God. And realistically, only God himself can know for sure if a thing will happen or not. We can guess, and, you know, we can uh, look at the odds, and, and we can you know, maybe come up with a good idea about whether or not it's going to happen, but only God knows for sure. But what Christ is after is that we grow in uh, belief and our trust in God. And you can't help but to grow in trust when you spend time with him and realize how wonderful he is and how faithful he is. And he wants us to believe that all things are possible when we have faith in God through Christ who strengthens us. So we have to believe in God's authority. The power of Christ came from the authority of God. And all he had to do was speak the word and it was done. And that's what started this whole discourse uh, that we're studying tonight in Mark 11:22 through 26. It all started because the day before, as they were on their way to Bethany, Jesus and his disciples were hungry and he's seen a fig tree afar off that had leaves on it, which means that the fig tree should have had figs on it. And uh, it turned out to be fruitless. So Jesus cursed it. And, and he said, you'll not bear fruit from this day forward. And the Bible says it began to wither at the root. Well, the next day they come coming back to Jerusalem and the tree is completely withered and dead, and all the leaves are laying on the ground, all dead. And the disciples were amazed at that. And they said, look, look, the tree that you cursed, it died. And so Jesus began to give a lesson on faith. And it was all about speaking and believing. That's what Jesus did with the tree. And, and they're saying, how did this happen? So then Jesus begins to teach on faith. And he says that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, have faith in God, whosoever shall say unto this mountain. And so he begins teaching on speaking and saying and believing. And, and that's the very point he was making to us. If we believe and doubt not, then we'll stand in the authority of God and we'll have what we say. So the tree withering and dying was a result of having faith in God. He said it would be done for him. The mountains which confront him will be removed, not only removed, but removed quickly and effectively. And so in Matthew 21, 22, he said, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And the next thing we have to do is enter into a state of expectancy. I'm trying to get done here in just a few more minutes. Just give me a few more minutes. But we have to enter into a state of expectancy. If you really believed when you prayed, you will begin to expect the thing that you prayed for. He said, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it 
and it will be yours. And like I said in the beginning, we believe we received it when we prayed, not when we get it, when we prayed, before we see it, before it comes. And a man must believe and expect the answer to his prayer. A woman, the same way. Uh, well, I would never pray without expecting an answer, but I'm afraid we do that, and we do it quite a bit. Uh, in the book of Acts, chapter 12, the apostle, apostle Peter was arrested, thrown into prison, and they were going to execute him the next day. And the Bible says that prayer was made for him without ceasing by the church unto God on his behalf. In other words, the whole church began to intercede for him. And at that time, the churches were in houses. And so uh, the church that was in the house began to pray for him and intercede. And so God answers the prayer and he sends an angel to the, to the prison in the, in the night hours. And the angel releases Peter and Peter goes to the house where the church was praying, he knocks on the door, and a little girl by the name of Rhoda comes to the door, or actually it was out the outward door, the gate, uh, door type of gate, and she comes to the door, and <laughs> she sees this Peter, and she runs back in the house without even letting them in or opening the door. I guess she got a little bit excited, but she runs back in the house, and she tells everybody that was in there praying for Peter that he was at the door, and they told her that she was crazy. And she, and she kept insisting, so they go out to the door, and Peter's still knocking. And when they finally opened the door, they saw him, and the Bible says they were astonished. They were surprised. Why were they surprised? They weren't expecting their prayer to be answered. They were praying. They were interceding, interceding probably pretty intensely, but they never expected God to answer that prayer, or they wouldn't have been surprised when Peter got there. If they were really expecting then when Peter got there, somebody would have said, well, it's about time. We've been praying for you all night. It's about time. I expected you two hours earlier. But no, they didn't. They were astonished. So they, they definitely prayed. Apparently, they believed what they prayed, but they sure wasn't expecting the answer to their prayer. So you can pray without expecting an answer. See, real faith expects, and we have to be confident and assured and we have to anticipate the answer. Don't just pray and then walk away and hope for the best. No, pray in faith. Direct your faith towards God and then believe what you prayed for you have and expect it. And Jesus' promise is interesting. He said, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And so Rod Parsley uh He's a famous minister up in Ohio. He's got a big church up there. And uh, he's a pastor. He says the spirit of expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. Think about that a minute. The spirit of expectancy is the breeding ground for miracles. So expecting is the easy part, and yet that's the place where we fail the most. And, uh, you know, why do I say it's easy? Because think about this for a minute. We do it all the time without even thinking about it. You know, you order something from Amazon, and as soon as you hang up the phone or hit that submit button, what do you do? You start expecting that package to come. You don't think about it. You don't worry about it. If it says it's going to be here in two days, then you expect it to be there in two days. No qualms about it. And that's all God is telling us. That's all Jesus is saying. When you ask the Father for something in my name, 
believe that you're going to receive it and start expecting it. You know, we, we start looking for the UPS man or the FedEx man or the postman, and, and we just know it's going to be here when Amazon said it would be. Well, when we pray and we ask for a difficult situation to be remedied, a mountain to be moved, then we should enter into that state of expectancy, and we should expect the, the Holy Ghost to come to our house with the answer to our prayer. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and I praise you. Your word is wonderful, Lord. You showed us great and mighty things in your word today, Lord. I, I pray that we brought it across in such a way that we could see the simplicity of your word. It's not a complicated thing. You don't ask too much of us. You just said have faith in God. We complicate things by uh, adding things to it and, and beginning to uh, question what you said, and sometimes you just said what you said, and you meant what you said. And, and when you said have faith in God, that's our job. That's our target is to put our faith in God and let him remove the mountain. Let him remove the difficulty. So in these days ahead, Lord, I know there's people out there who have some difficult situations they're facing, some mountains in their lives that need to be moved. So, Lord, we speak to those mountains right now in the name of Jesus. God, we direct our faith towards you. We know that you are able. You are well able. You are capable. You're reliable. We know that we can trust you, Lord, and we know that you can do the impossible. So we're going to keep our eyes on you, and we're going to wait for the mountain to be moved as we speak to it, and we tell it to be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea in Jesus' name. And now we're looking for the Holy Ghost to come with the answer, Lord. We thank you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, God bless you. We love you and appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in tonight. If you would, hit the share button, tell your friends. And uh, we'll see you this Sunday, maybe about 1045 from the Sanctuary Faith Fellowship Church. We love you and appreciate you. See you then. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.